Amen. And as you come into church this morning, I want to encourage you with these same three questions that I started off with last week when we were filling out our job application for the title of last week's message, Paid in Full. That was last week's message. And so I want to ask you these three questions. What, what past experience or what skills qualify me to work at Jesus Company? What past experience or skills qualify me to work at Jesus Company? Every one of you have skills, talents, and ability that you need to tap into, that you need to fan that flame of faith on so God can grow them, and you need to begin to write them down, notate them in your life. What you're good at, what God tells you you're good at, see, what God tells you you're good at is probably going to be your biggest insecurity. Yes. Come on, thank you, Jesus. What God tells you you're good at is probably going to be one of your biggest insecurities because the Bible says he uses the things of the weak to confound the wise or the things of the foolish to confound the wise. In our weakness, he is strong. Amen. So he's probably going to pick your weakness, not your strength. <laughs> Come on now. He wants to not just use you. He wants to unite with you and work through you. And if he's just going to use what you think is strong, you don't need him because you're already strong. <laughs> Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. It's a whole other message. Let's get back on track. Here we go. Next, who would my references be that would support my preceding qualifications that I listed? Who would my references be? Who would my big three be? As Jesus had Peter, James, and John who went with him places the other nine disciples didn't go. Who would my big three be that would be my references that I could write down? Those would be your support system. Those are your supporting cast. Those are the ones who stand and pray with you. Those are the ones who walk with you through the trials of life, through the goods and the bads and the ups and the downs and things like that. Who would my references be? Next, finally, if the worship service that I'm currently attending were my first day on the job, would I still be employed by the time the message started? If the first 45 minutes you've been here, if you worked like that on your first day on the job, would you still be employed? The way you worship this morning, would Jesus say, man, this guy is ready to work? The way you got into his presence this morning, would Jesus say, this guy is ready to come to the job? He's on time. He's prepared. He's ready. He's going to do some awesome things. Did you see how he came in to the office today? How did you come in today? Are you ready to do what the kingdom is calling us to do? And finally this, if you were the CEO of Joel Company or Jeff Company or Mark Company or Tina Company, would you fire you or would you hire you? If you were the CEO of an organization, would you even hire yourself to come work for you? Ask yourself those questions spiritually as we jump in to this thing called Jesus Company. And the great news is Jesus already said you're hired. He said you were hired before you were born. And he said the price is paid in full. I did it. And we're going to start this thing called Kingdom Incorporated. And you got a part to play in it. And so it's time that we say, Matthew 9, 36, come to pass. Make us the workers to go into the harvest field today. Yeah. And as we start this morning's message called Job Description... There are four things that I want us to address. These are the four co's of Jesus' company. The four co's of Jesus' company are this. You are a co-heir or co-partner. You are a co-laborer. We're in a community, and we got a great co-mission to fulfill. Amen. Yeah. 
And so none of those say um, it's just the heir, it's co-heir. There's coming together of it. There's co-laborers, people doing work together. There's community, us coming together as the body of Christ, doing something in this 20-mile radius. There's co-mission, going to the ends of the earth, which I like to call community domestic work, and I like to call co-mission the international side of the business. Amen. Watch what God is going to continue to do. And so let's jump into our job description this morning as it consists of these four parts. You're a co-partner or co-heir. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, everybody say, but God. How many of you know if it wasn't for but God, you wouldn't be here right now? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There are so many times in my life when I was messed up and couldn't do right and didn't do, just, just my life was in trouble, but God showed up. And the deal is we say, but God showed up. The truth of the matter is, but God never left. <laughs> It wasn't, but God showed up. It's, but God never left. And when Joel finally came to his senses and turned to an almighty God, amen. But God was always there. But God, and this is why I know he was always there, being rich in mercy, come on now, because of his great love of which he loved Joel with. Even when Joel was dead in his trespasses and sins, he made Joel alive together with Christ. By grace, Joel has been saved. And by grace, Joel has been raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, Joel might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who believe. Amen. That is your job description for your partnership role in the kingdom of Kingdom Incorporated. But you have three other roles that you're fulfilling in your job description. The next one is this. You are going to be a co-laborer. Ephesians 2.10 goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is the reason you're created. For good works. Amen. Come on now. Y'all like, I didn't sign up to this thing go to work. I signed up to get saved and go to heaven. Where I didn't have to do nothing. If that's your philosophy, you haven't even read the Bible. Because right. in heaven, the Bible even says we're not going to be doing nothing. And we're not just going to be sitting around the throne worshiping. It says we will be ruling and reigning in the kingdom of God. That means you're going to be ruling over something and reigning over something. You're going to be the manager over something. And I believe a lot of what you put over on the heavenly side dictates, is dictated a lot by what you're doing on the earthly side. So what you're doing here has eternal consequences of what's going on over there. So you were created here on earth to do good works. And listen, you can call this your probationary 90-day experience, whatever you want to call it. This is your probationary period. How you act and respond here in this temporal life has everything to do with what you're going to be operating in in the eternal life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because when we start thinking of eternity, and eternity is different than just eternal. Eternal is from now moving forward. Eternity was there before what we know as beginning, and it'll be there after what we know as ending. Eternal doesn't have a beginning or an ending. It's just eternal or eternity. But a lot of what you do here will have eternal and eternity consequences over there. And so in this, I better finish the verse first. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now listen to this. Which God prepared Joel beforehand to do that we should walk in them. So God prepared beforehand, before I was born, my job description of good works that I should be doing so I should walk in them here in this earth. 
This is how he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future because they were prepared before you were born to do the good works of the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, I love job descriptions. (laughs) They make it real clear about what Joel should be doing right here and right now. It takes any question out. The next thing, we got to go into the realms of what God is calling Kingdom Incorporated to do. We got the domestic side. And we got the international side. The domestic side is community. And the Bible says this in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The church should be doing so much profound things that not just the church elevates, the whole city elevates. I believe the church should be doing so much good that even the people who are unbelievers get blessed because they're just in the realm of believers. God pours so much of it out on us that it overflows into the realm of where we're at. And they begin to see the goodness of what's happening to believers. And the Bible says it's the goodness or the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. When they see the goodness of God being poured out on us because we're doing the good works that we were predestined to do before time began, then they're going to get born again because of our good works in the community as the body of Christ. We'll go into that deeper in just a minute. And finally, we got the international side. And Jesus said to them in Matthew 28, 18, All authority. Everybody say all. 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 Everybody say all. All. I need you to get what all means. All means all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, Jesus said. So it was all given unto Jesus. Therefore, go. So when somebody who has been given all authority tells you to go, you're going in his all authority. Because he's the one who told you to go. Right? So if he's the one who told you to go in all authority, that means you're going with his authority and his blessing. So you're not just going out there alone trying to figure this thing out. When Jesus said, go in all the earth, he's saying, go in all my authority in all the earth. And authority is different than power. Oh, do I have time to go there? Okay, I do got time to go there. Here we go. Authority is so much different than power, and I've used this several times before. Authority is different than power because if I had power to go out and do things, if I had just had power, I could walk out into the middle of 2560, and if an 18-wheeler were coming, and I held my hand up, which is more powerful? He's going to run me over. He will smack me like a pancake on the front of his thing. I will look like Toy Story 3 when you have the bears at the end, you know, just (laughs) right on the front of the dump truck. That's what I would look like. Authority is different. If I stepped out on 2560 and the 18-wheeler was coming and I stepped out there in a DPS or police uniform or a sheriff uniform and did this, what's he going to do? He's going to stop. Is it because of the power or because of the authority? It's because of the authority. See, a lot of you are praying for power. You need to start understanding your authority. And then you'll walk into power. See, the the officer doesn't have to worry about how strong he is versus the 18-wheeler because his authority trumps the power of the 18-wheeler. We must begin to walk in authority. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three of them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You just need to go under there and highlight all the times all is mentioned. And that is your job description for the international side. So we have co-heir, co-partner, we got co-laborer, we got community, and we got co-mission. And so everybody's like, wow, that's it, that's it. 
Go home. You're done. That's your job description. Go. See, it doesn't sound so great and exciting in the moment, but wait until I tell you about the projections of Kingdom Incorporated. Wait till I tell you about where Kingdom Incorporated is going, then you'll understand why your job description is so important in your knowing. If you know your job description is important and, and, and you know where Kingdom Incorporated is going, you're going to fulfill all the destiny of Kingdom Incorporated. But if you don't know how important your job description is or you don't know the projections of Kingdom Incorporated, you're never going to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. So let's look at projections just for a little bit. Any good business looks at projections. Historical data, first of all. In the 1500s, Martin Luther and John Calvert partnered with Jesus, and they started something known as the Protestant Reformation. Great movement in the 1500s, where several came to know Christ throughout the world. Many of you can still read the, the messages of Jonathan Edwards and Martin Luther. They're still online. They're still available. They're still out there. In the 1700s, three more people partnered with him. They were John Wesley, George Whitfield, and Jonathan Edwards. And they, and they did the work which was called the First Great Awakening for the Church. Yeah. Now listen to this. John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards had very similar styles. They were basically what is known in America as circuit rider preachers. They went from town to town to town preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards went all over, all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ from town to town to town. Well, George Whitfield took a different approach. He went into the orthodox side. And he preached the gospel. And something happened. And the Spirit of God came out, down and began to move. And it was so, so great of a movement in Kingdom Incorporated. Then it was called the first great awakening of the church. Thus was the ending of the medieval times. Thank you, Jesus. And in the 1500s, Martin Luther and John Calvin's great movement started in the time that the world was known as the most evil of days in their time as well. Now we jump into the next part, and it's the second great awakening. And it's the, around the 1800s, early 1800s, late 1700s, another man partnered with Jesus, and his name was Charles Finney. Charles Finney led over 500,000 people to Christ without any technological help. He did not have Facebook. He did not have apps. He did not have microphones. He did not have television. He did not have radio. He did not have anything. And one man caused the second great awakening to happen because he partnered with Jesus with no technology whatsoever. And 500,000 people came to know Christ. Are you kidding me? We're struggling with all the technology the world has to offer. And I'm telling you, one man who will partner with Jesus' company and go into Kingdom Incorporated, God will use him in such a mighty way that 500,000 people will come to know Christ. And get this, he led more than 500,000 people to Christ, but 85% of his converts were still living for Christ over 10 years later. So he not only did born-again stuff, he did some great discipleship stuff that transformed the world known as the Second Great Awakening. Ooh, come on now. Now, now, I need you to see something. A movement happened in the 1500s. A movement happened in the 1600s and 1700s. A movement happened in the 17 to 1800s. There's been little movements take place in the early 1900s and even in the mid-1900s, one known as the Jesus Movement in the late 60s, early 70s, when uh, um, free love, as you would say it back in the day, was at its highest point. A great movement of Jesus Christ broke out, right? The hippie era. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? 
Okay, I'm just making sure. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, I, I bet if I played some of the music from that era, everybody would stand up and y'all would know exactly what I'm talking about. And out of that, a movement happened. It was called the Jesus Movement, but it was nowhere close to what has happened in the first movement, the first Great Awakening, and the second Great Awakening. But look at this. The world is long overdue for an awakening. And it's going to take something amazing. It's going to take not 50-50 partnership, but people who are in 100%, 100% partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ to see Kingdom Incorporated fulfill what the projections that I'm about to show you really are. And this will blow some of your minds. Listen to this. In 1900, the world population was 1.6 billion. In 1960, it was 2.6 billion. In 2017, look at that, just a little over uh, 50 years later, it is at 7.6 billion people in the earth. Of the 7.6 billion, an estimated 3 billion are under the age of 25. So now for the first time in history, there's a possibility of 1 billion souls coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in one great movement of God, and this is the projection of the church that's about to happen. Now, 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 now listen to this. For the first time in history, in the history of the earth, there is the possibility in the day you're living, and if you're living in this day, it's your mandate for this day, in the day you're living for one billion people. Are you kidding me? See, I think there, there may be a little lack of excitement or shock and awe because we can't even imagine what a billion is. Yeah. We're struggling to think what a million is. Our city only has 15,000, maybe at the most 16,000 people on a great day. So for us to even consume of a million people, let alone a billion people coming to know Christ in one great movement of God. Whoo, come on. I, I got to get you thinking outside yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to get you thinking outside of your city. I've got to think to get you, and it's not necessarily outside of your city, but bigger than your city. Because the power of God to come and do a movement to see one billion souls come to know Christ at one time in one given movement is an amazing feat. It's not some pie-in-the-sky dream of the Father. It is the projections of the church. Follow historical data. The 1500s, there was a movement. The 16 and 1700s, there was a movement. The 18 and 1900s, in the movement. We're in the 2000s, and we need a movement to begin to take place, not just a moment where the Spirit of God comes down. And this is your job, this is your, this is your projections for Kingdom Inc. that you hired on to be with in your job description. So, what does that mean? What does that mean for us at Kingdom Incorporated? Here's what it means. In other words, here's the business plan that's got to happen. This is what's got to take place. It will take 10 million new pastors to care for and disciple 1 billion new converts at a ratio of 1 to 100. For one pastor to disciple 100 people, and listen, Jesus chose 12, not, not 100. For one pastor to disciple 100 people, it will take 10 million new pastors to disciple 1 billion new converts. <laughs> Welcome to ministry, baby. You're in. 
There is no job shortage. There is no career shortage. I'm telling you, we are in the most in-demand field that the world has ever seen where we need ministers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it and he prophesied it. The harvest, Joel. There's 7.6 billion people out there. The harvest is plentiful. It's my laborers that are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He's still Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest. What does this mean? It means that we need 1,000 Bible colleges, schools, universities, graduating 1,000 ministers a year for the next 10 years. How about that? 1,000 schools, colleges, and universities graduating 1,000 ministers a year for the next 10 years to have equipped people to disciple 1 billion new converts. We got some work to do. People are thinking that's impossible. With God, all things are possible to those who believe. God says, God says let me worry about the impossible. You concern yourself with believing. Right? See, the impossible is God's task. It says, with God, all things are possible. So impossible falls on his shoulders, the believing part, that he can do this, one billion souls, one for every 100 people, 1,000 colleges graduating, 1,000 people over the next 10 years. That's our job to believe that God can do that. I hope you're excited about your job description. Because <laughs> there is no lack of work <laughs> to be done in the kingdom of God. The fact of the matter is, in America... Ministers are leaving at a rate of 1,200 to 1,500 a month. They're leaving the ministry. 1,200 to 1,500 people a month are leaving the ministry in America. Can you say there's a gap in the way the projections are going versus the way they should be going with ministers? We need to close the gap. And how do we close the gap? By you receiving your mandate. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm telling you to be a minister where you're at. I'm telling you to start discipling yourself. Start qualifying yourself. Start fanning the flame that's on the inside of you. Start doing what you know to do, and then God will show you what you can do. Amen. Amen. Just start doing what you know to do. Well, I, I've never been trained officially. I'm not worried about officially, and neither was Jesus. He was worried about fishermen. And if you need a funny joke, he wasn't worried about officially. See, Jeff, how do you do that, man? How do you do that? Jeff could have said it, and y'all would have just busted out laughing. Joel says it. I still don't get it. Oh, fish a He bought fishermen. I quit. I'm a stat of the 1,500 a month that's walking off the platform. I'm just kidding. The facts are they're dropping out of the ministry at 1,500 a month to sell car insurance, to sell houses, because it's easier dealing with people buying a house than it is to try and cater with the American church to get them to just live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's easier to go sell houses and, and, and flip burgers. It's easier to be a waiter at a restaurant and deal with an unhappy customer because you can quit and go home. But when you're dealing with an unhappy church member or an unhappy person in the body of Christ, they never leave and they cause havoc among everything else. They're quitting at a rate of 1500 a month. It's time for the church of the United States of America to not think that we're so entitled, but the Bible says if you're going to become the greatest of all, you need to become the servants of least and get, the, get my eyes off myself and start getting them on somebody else and watch what God can do for them because what he does for them, I know he can do for me. Come on, thank you, Jesus. It's time for the church of the United States of America to have a great wake-up call. 
because I believe with all my heart God wants to use the church in the United States of America as a catalyst for the great awakening of a one billion soul harvest because we got the funds, we got the faith, we got the people, but we got to drop the entitlement and realize it's still my calling to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch a movement of God happen in my lifetime like never before. The fun fact of this is one billion souls is roughly equivalent to 15% of the world's population. So what does that mean domestically for TWBC? We need to be ready for 15% of our city's population to get born again and come into our church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's 3,000 people showing up. And everybody's excited about 3,000 people showing up, but ain't nobody excited about the 100 diapers got to be changed in a nursery. Hey, come on now. Let's get ministry happening. Uh. Everybody's excited about 3,000 people and so we're like, woohoo, God's growing our church. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yes, Joel, we got 500 kids showing up and you want me to preach for three hours. Go help in the kids ministry. You'll be saying, Joel, you better cut that sermon down to about 22 and a half minutes because I can't take these people's kids no more. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Listen, you're not always doing ministries because it's fun. You're doing ministry because you've been paid in full. If I did it because it was fun, <laughs> I, mean, I do this because it's fun. The, the other hundred and whatever hours are in a week, man, that's a whole different story sometimes. What's your job? 15% of our city. What does that look like when 15% of Sulphur Springs gets born again? What does that look like when 15% of our county, over 32,000 people, get born again and need a place to go and need people to disciple? The good news is your staff and your elders are about two years ahead of this message. We've already been planning for the 15%. We've already been planning for what does it look like when 3,000 people in our city get born again and we have 3,000 people show up here every given Sunday. We've been planning this. We've been a part of Jesus Company for a while in Kingdom Incorporated. We're just now at the point where we say it's time that we rally everybody in the force to come together and do the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time to go to work. The responsibility. Let's start back at the top with your job description. You're a co-partner, a co-heir. The Bible says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, this is going to take on a whole different precedence and a whole different mindset if you'll remember 15% of your city coming to this church. If you remember 1 billion people coming to know Christ, think of it in those realms where you, 1 billion souls are contingent on, are you going to live this out in your job description as a partner? Think of it in that fact. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us with, you have been saved which he loved us with, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, immeasurable riches of his grace, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. What does this verse mean as a co-partner, a co-heir with Jesus Christ in Kingdom Incorporated? It means this. We must be what the Bible says. We must be rich in mercy. Yeah. Amen. 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 
must be rich in mercy. Do you remember the first part? It says, but God being rich in mercy. We love the but God, but when we got to be merciful to somebody who we don't think deserves mercy, come on now. But God was rich and merciful to you. And now you're partnered with him. And you take on the characteristic of your partner. You become rich in mercy. Amen. And somebody says, that message really sucked, Joel. I'm rich in mercy. I love you. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so glad you're at TWBC today. Thank you, Jesus. I hope you come back. And I hope you come to the altar. Hope you get it right. No, I'm just playing. Come on. But God, being rich in mercy. Come on. The first characteristic of our partnership is we must be rich in mercy. Man, if you're going to be a partner in Kingdom Incorporated, you got to be rich in mercy. You got to be generous in every aspect of your life. You got to be generous in your money, in your calendar, in your time, in your family. You got to be generous. You got to be rich in mercy. You got to be that. And when somebody doesn't get what you think they deserve, I look at my life and say, Whoo, I'm so glad I didn't get what I deserved. Because what Joel Christ truly deserves is hell. The only reason I'm not going there is because of not Joel, but because of Jesus and what he did for me. So our first characteristic as a partner is we must be rich in mercy and do things with great love. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Rich in mercy, with great love is how a partner acts. You know, when you go into a business that's got a nice family atmosphere, they love one another and you know the love is there, and then you've worked in other businesses where everybody was just a jerk and they're backbiting and stuff like that. Kingdom Incorporated, we don't like the backbiting and we don't put up with it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But we will be rich in mercy and handle you with great love. But when we're handling you with great love, you're not going to be able to stay the same. Amen. That's how growth happens. When my kids are growing up as they are, I am rich in mercy and I handle them with great love. And watch what God is doing in their life. And the final point of your partnership is this. God, being rich in mercy, with great love, which he loved us with, has raised us up and seated with him in heavenly places. The last part of your thing under your partnership is this. You got to be rich in mercy. You got to do things with great love and you got to make dead things come alive again. That's part of your partnership agreement. You have the authority and the power within you to make dead things come to life again. To make dead things begin to change again. And that doesn't mean just seeing a physically dead person come to life. It includes that, but it also means when I see a gift in Perry's life, and she may be sitting there, and she may be thinking, God can't use me, and God's not done with me. I'm telling you, I see the spirit of joy come on you, and you need to express that joy. You need to pour out that joy. And I'm trying to call that out, and I'm trying to make what she may be thinking is dead and dying come back to life again. So she steps into her calling to be part of the billion soul harvest to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We as a church, you do not make dead things come alive by kicking them. You can check if they're alive by kicking them, right? Can I kick you, Hunter, real quick? Just, I'm just playing. I'm, I just want to make sure. You can check if they're alive. But you're not going to bring them back to life by kicking them. But I can tell you this. If I see a person who's injured and dying, and I'll come to them 
with words of encouragement and love, being rich in mercy, with great love to them. And I'll begin to minister to them. And I'll begin to call out the giftings and the anointing on the inside of them. And I'll begin to say, God's not finished with you yet. He's got great and mighty plans for your life. And I'll begin to administer that as my partnership role. Amen. We'll see dead things come to life. Because your words are like fresh water being poured onto dry ground in dry soil where dry seeds are shriveled up and dying. But when you pour that refreshing out, life begins to happen. Why? Why? Because you're a partner. You're a partner. They, they, they look at you as the boss. It's one thing if a coworker gives you a compliment. When the boss says you're doing great, you're in partnership. Your words carry great weight. Your words carry great power because you're not speaking on your own authority. You're speaking of what God has shown you from the throne room of heaven into the life of somebody who needs refreshing and uplifting. You carry the weight and your words carry the weight of the Father himself. And that's why the Bible says you'll have to give an account for every idle word that's ever spoken out of your mouth. Not because you're saved, because you're a partner. And you're leader in Kingdom Incorporated. You're co-laborer. Ephesians says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, For good works. For God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now it says, For good works. Now listen, good is only a descriptive word used to instruct us on the kind of work that we should be doing as believers. Now that should be unsaid, am I correct? But there's a lot of believers who are doing more damage sometimes than good. And the Bible says you must examine your ways. Read before you take the Lord's Supper what it says. Examine yourself. See if you're of the faith. The Bible says you've been created to do good works. And if he said that in Ephesians, he was, must have been talking about a group of people that some of them were doing not good works. If he's got to clarify something that seems so simple to the church, it means there's part of the church that hadn't got it. And the church of Ephesus, if any church hadn't got it, it was them. And he said, you were created to do good. Gospel works is what that really translates. Glory works is what that translates into. Not just things that you think are good like humanitarian aid. You can give food to a poor person all day, but if you don't give them the anointing and the gospel with it, they may, go, they, they may eat the rest of their life, but they'll still die and go to hell. But also, you can't just go preach at a starving person all day. Buy him a Big Mac. Well, buy him something that ain't going to kill him. I mean, amen. <laughs> and then, but there's got to be some glory and good work that expands the kingdom along with our deeds that we do. Yeah. Now listen, it says good, and it's a descriptive work for the kind of work we should be doing. It says work. <laughs> amen. Everybody say, I love work. I love work. Amen. I'm just hoping you're not lying to me, right? Because the work ethic of believers should be greater than any work ethic that's out there. Yeah. The work ethic of believers should be so positive, and I'm not even talking about when you go into your physical workplace. I'm talking about working for the kingdom of God should not be something that we turn off and turn on like a switch at 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. It should be something that's so ingrained in us that we are working day in and day out. Everything we do, the gospel is part of it. I'll never forget one time, about 10, probably about 15 years ago now, one of my friends, good friends at the time asked me, he asked me a question and I said, how do you want me to answer? Do you want me to answer as a pastor or do you want me to answer as Joel? And he said, is there a difference? 
you catch what he said? Do you want me to answer as a pastor or do you want me to answer as Joel? He looked at me and said, is there a difference? I thought if you were called, you were one and the same and you were always in that mantle. <laughs> Changed my life and he wasn't even a believer at the time. I'm telling you, you can learn something from anyone. And from that moment on, I realized there is no longer a separation between Joel and his calling. They are one and the same forever. And people will look at me like that and I must look at myself in that same measure. And then it's got works with an S on it to show good or, or creating Christ Jesus to do good works. Notice it doesn't say work singular. It says work plural. It shows how much work you should be doing for the kingdom. A lot. There's a billion soul harvest that is ready to come into the kingdom. And can I tell you, the sowing season takes a lot less individuals than the harvest season. If you've ever looked at the Midwest during harvest season. During the, during the sowing season, there's just a couple tractors out there sowing all the seed. But when harvest season comes, you got combine after combine after combine after combine to bring in the multitude of the harvest. So there's been greats go on before us that have been doing the sowing season. I believe that God's calling us as a church into the harvest season where it's going to take all of us to do something great. And follow and accomplish the kingdom of God. And in that, the harvest season you got to look at both sides. we got to look at community, the domestic side. The Bible says this in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I want to use this term again that we used about six years ago, and it's called shine brighter, shine farther. The church that shines the brightest at home shines the farthest abroad. You want to worry about how we're going to ignite nations around the world? Start shining bright right here. I'm not so concerned about going to other nations around the world. It's going to happen. But the first thing is God says, shine bright right where you're at. Some of you have dreams about going around the world and being on a mission trip. Your mission trip is your office. Listen, if you will drive down the road in the five houses closest to you, welcome to your new mission field. Now, some of y'all who live way out in the sticks, you may have to drive a little bit. But some of y'all who live in the city, you got five houses and you could throw a baseball and hit any one of the five at any given time. And you've never knocked down that door and much less told them about Jesus, even invited them to church. And the stats are most people come to church, 78% of people come to church because somebody invited them, not because of a billboard, not because of a radio broadcast, not because of a television broadcast, not because of a flyer that you hung on their door, because somebody knocked on a door and invited them. 78% of people come to church because of that. Yeah. On our visitor cards that people fill out every week, it's overwhelming. 75% of the visitor cards that we have, how did you hear about TWBC? A friend or a family member. We got our personal stats to prove it. We got nationwide stats to prove it. But yet churches are having to go to elaborate marketing schemes to try to get people in. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful. We just need some people to go knock doors again. I don't care if it seems like it was done in the 1970s. If you got two feet and a good hand, you don't even need two good hands. You need two feet and a hand. <laughs> Come on, thank you, Jesus. The church that shines the brightest at home will shine the farthest abroad. Our part domestically or in our community, 15% of our city to come to know Christ within the next 10 years. What does that look like? I'm praying in the next five years. I'm asking for exponential. But it's going to take laborers in the harvest field. And let me touch back on laboring just for a minute. In your role of partnership, 
It's important to know where you're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places as a partner, co-heir. But even as a partner and a co-heir, you have a job description that says you're also a laborer. So therefore, my role as partner does not trump my role as laborer. See, there's some things in the church that people think, well, I'm too good to do that. Or, I don't get paid to do that. Or, that's not in my job description to do that. It is now. It says co-laborer. And in that process, we think we're above doing something that we think is menial or trivial for the gospel. Let me give you an example. There's a time that TWBC had some crazy awesome events going on. And I was out there in the foyer working. There was a bunch of people in here doing a bunch of ministry and stuff that I wasn't a part of at the time. And I walked into the men's restroom and this worst smell ever just hit me when I walked in the door. So naturally, you figure, somebody did not flush the commode, right? So I go to the first stall, we're good. Second stall, we're good. I'm like, 50% done, here we go, babe, we're good. We're good. Going to the third stall. Bless his heart. It's a four-year-old little boy in there who had destroyed the restroom. I mean, poop everywhere, as far as you could see. All down the side of the toilet, down the back of the toilet, the top of the toilet. I mean, I didn't. I, I was thinking, how in the world does a four-year-old create this much poop? And it wasn't just poop on it. I mean, it was like stuck, like it had been there three days stuck. So Joel, standing in here, and now looking at this little boy, three thoughts went through my head. I'm a partner. I'm going to find somebody else to do this. I'm not only partner, I'm lead pastor of this church. I'm going to find somebody else to do this. And then I looked at him through the eyes of a laborer. Come on, come on. And I said, how dare I ask somebody to do a job that I would not be able to do myself? What kind of leader would even try to lead like that? And the funny thing about this whole story is it wasn't some time ago. It was last week at SummerSlam. When I had 50 workers in here doing ministry, 200 kids in here being ministered to, and I could pull to any one of them and said, hey, I need a huge favor. I need you to go in there and we'll just clean the bathroom. But in that moment, I, saw, I thought to myself, how arrogant and what kind of a prick would I be to tell somebody else to do a job that I would not do myself? If we're going to reach our community... It's going to be because there is no job above us and there is no job below us. If you want to be anointed on a platform, you need to be anointed in a pooping stall. Come on now. I'm just telling you the truth. If you're not willing to do the C-R-A-P part of the message, don't think you'll be anointed in front of millions. Because in that stall, that night, the minute I got done and was able to breathe again, 
I walked in here to witness one of the greatest sights I ever saw. My son walked forward and get born again. And what if I would have been the prick who called out the very minister to go clean a toilet that I wasn't willing to clean that was the one to lead my son to Christ? See, there was no job above me, and I believe it wasn't, I, I don't believe it's because I cleaned a poopy stall that my kid got saved. But I believe I could have hindered his salvation if I would have said, I'm just going to stand in my role as partner or lead pastor and not do the work that's got to be done to see community occur. And as we do in the community, shine brighter, shine farther, we'll fulfill the Great Commission. I want the worship team to come and the ministers to come and begin to pray. This is our international side. I believe what you do out of faith now, locally, you'll be able to do internationally out of anointing. Let me say that again. I believe what you do right now out of faith in community, you'll be able to walk in in anointing in commission or internationally. A lot of people have said over the past couple of weeks, wow, Joel, you get some great opportunities to go around the world and speak. I only get that is because I'm doing domestically what God has now anointed me to do internationally. But if I wasn't faithful to do it domestically here at home, the international would never have happened. What you will not do in your office or in your own home, don't expect to get to do in front of a church. What you won't do in front of a church or in a church, don't expect to do on a world stage. Because in God's eyes, it's all the same. In God's eyes, your office is the same as the guy in India. Because in God's eyes, every nation on the earth is a foreign mission field. Because they all differ from the kingdom of heaven. So what I'm asking you to do today is do you know your role as partner? If you don't, you need to come and receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You need to come and become born again this morning. You need to come and let Christ work in your life. And you need to step into that but God who was rich in mercy and with great love. While we were still in our trespasses, dead and dying to sin, He came and sent Jesus Christ to come and die on a cross for us. To be raised again from the dead so that we can be born again. If you've been born again, it's time you step into your role of co-laborer. I'm going to do this with you, Jesus. Jesus, you're not sending me out alone because you said go and you're going with me. But I don't want to do it alone, Jesus. I want to do it with you. I want to be not just a partner. I want to have an active role in the company. I want to do it with you. And I'm open to domestic or international. In fact, I'm open to anywhere. If it's in the third stall of a poopy bathroom or if it's on a platform in Africa, or I just saw one of my friends preaching to almost over a million people as far as you can see. The harvest is there. But the funny thing is, we value the platform in Africa more than the poopy stall. When God says, they're all my children. What does it matter if they're in poverty in Africa or they're in a poopy stall in America? They all need me. And there's a billion soul harvest minimum that's out there ready to come to Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your position in the company and in the kingdom. And let's see what God can do 
as we co-partner, co-labor, co-community, and co-mission with the gospel. If you need to be born again, I want you to come and I want to pray with you. If you need to sell out, I want you to just come and say, Jesus, it's time for me to step in to be a laborer in the harvest field. This morning, if you need to come take communion, come to our elders. They'll lead you in communion this morning. This morning, if it's time for you to come and say, it's time for me to take my place and make a difference, come and pray with one of us. Let today be your day of your destiny and watch what God can accomplish through you.